Welcome to the Riverside Project podcast. We are mobilizing Houston to empower families and transform generations. We hope these conversations will give you a greater understanding of the issues facing our community and inspire you to find your place along the river. Today we have a very special guest and a good friend of the Riverside Project, Kimberly Glotty. She is the Regional Training Consultant with the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. Um, she also works with our organization to provide trust-based relational intervention training or TBRI training for professionals across our city. So we're grateful for her being with us today. Oh, you know, it's a pleasure of mine. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so tell us, like, we always start off by just learning a little bit about what you do. What does your day look like? What types of opportunities do you get to engage with in your work? Yeah, my day is different every day. That's what we hear a lot, actually. <laughs> there is no day that starts at the same time or has a rhythm. It just um, is what it is. And I think that mirrors the life of a lot of our kids who uh, that we serve and families that we serve and in ultimately communities that we serve. Mm -hmm. We're responding and planning and coordinating and strategizing for what was and what is. And I think that's how my day is. <laughs> Strategizing and planning yes. and coordinating and having redos and lots of that. So, yes, I um, am a regional training consultant. Um, I'm a friend. Right? You and I are friends now. We started off as colleagues. And I have the privilege of going around um, in the state of Texas, in, in our country, and even in international spaces sharing TBRI, trust-based relational intervention, and then helping in the implementation of that framework. Um, and that's how the coaching consultant piece comes in. So that's what I get to do every day. And, um, you know, I don't work. I just do what I do. And it's, uh, it's a really the dream. a pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's the dream to get to work in a place where you, it doesn't feel like doesn't work. It doesn't feel like work. Do you work with individuals? Do you work with organizations? Do you work with churches? Do you work with um, families? Who's kind of your, who do you usually do that training for? Yeah, primarily I work with organizations. Um, um, some churches, a lot of times if they're doing conferences or things like that, Orphan Care Sunday is really big. So sometimes I'll be invited to come in as a special guest or a trainer. Um, if a church is doing mission projects and things like that, mm -hmm. sometimes I um, am invited to come in and consult on what they're doing and what they're planning. I don't work with as many individuals lest I get a call or an email or a text from a friend that's in the field saying, hey, I've got a challenge. Let's check. Yes. Got a challenge for you. We get those calls too. I love them. Yes. So the reason I wanted to have you on today is because I think if, if listeners have listened to our previous podcasts, they're always a little bit sprinkled with trauma. That conversation comes up all the time when we talk about vulnerable kids and families all along the river, whether it's upstream biological families who have endured sometimes generations of trauma mm -hmm. or trauma within the family that has caused some sort of crisis. And then midstream where kids are in foster care and they're in you know, either in families or trying to get back to family or with relatives, there's always that trauma involved. And then, of course, downstream where kids, if they haven't exited foster care or the 
family hasn't been reunified, we see some of these issues downstream, more homelessness, more poverty, then we get into incarceration and trafficking. So you see this compounded trauma happening. So I wanted you to come in and really help us have a, just kind of a deep dive. We could obviously be talk for days because we do talk for days and we provide multiple day trainings on this. But let's kind of have a little bit of a deep dive on what is this trauma that we're talking about. And then we'll kind of go through what this looks like for the families that we're trying to serve. Yeah. I think I love this conversation because I remember not having the full understanding of what trauma is. And then obviously, if I don't know what it is, I don't understand its impact. Providing a working definition has really helped me help families. Um, Bessel van der Kolk gives us a great one. And he talks about it uh, when we talk about like complex developmental trauma. These are traumas that happen repeatedly. They are pervasive or oftentimes they're also prolonged, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not something that happens one time. It's something that happens over time, every Friday night, every time daddy gets drunk, every time mom leaves. Sometimes it can happen over generations, mm -hmm. right? We know, we know about that. Um, and also these experiences affect our developmental trajectory. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important to understand what it is, understand its impact, Mm -hmm. so that we can, as a community, properly respond right. to the kids and the families. So when we talk about impact, what, is it, what does it look like? So we have this kind of definition that there are types of traumas that we walk through every day. The, there's the one-time car accident. Mm -hmm. There's the natural disaster, right? We're in Houston. Mm -hmm. We've seen families walk through that. And it has those have lingering effects. Surely. And for the kids who sometimes, you know, for many years, they've endured trauma, especially trauma that happens in relationship. Um, what is the impact that we typically see? And, you know, every kid is different. Every situation is so different. But are there things where we can recognize it? What are kind of the symptoms or the impact mm -hmm. of that type of trauma on a kid mm -hmm. that we may see in our community? Yeah, I think the impact that I love to highlight and talk about is how this, these complex traumas, this complex trauma that's happening during specific developmental time affects kind of our brain. It affects how a person learns to engage mm -hmm. with others. It affects how a person sees themselves um, and, um, you know, what they're able to do um, in their community, in their home, in society. And so trauma is going to, this kind of trauma that we're talking about is going to have effect in their body and their brain and their belief system. And surely in their behavior, in that all of us were designed that when we are fearful, when something happens that is unexpected, that um, causes us harm or is a threat of harm, our physiological system is designed to react and protect. Right. That's what happens. It's where the way we're created. The challenge is if we are constantly in fear, if we are constantly in the threat of harm, mm -hmm. then our body stays in that protective space. Right. Our brains neurologically respond from that protective space. Our behaviors 
carry out in a place of protection and not connection. And, and so therefore, anybody in that heightened sense, they don't engage with the world or yeah. with other people the same way. And so that's what we have to learn to see and respond to is that our younger kids, our older kids, our adult yeah. kids are a lot of times um, showing up in the world in this very protected mm-hmm. space. Yeah. Because that's what their life has given to them. They are simply trying to stay safe. Yeah. Um, and so that's a lot of the work that I get to do. You mentioned two words that I want to highlight. You said protection and connection. Mm-hmm. It's hard for them to exist together, mm-hmm. right? Either I protect or I connect. Mm-hmm. But I think for many of the kids that we interact with uh, who are in care, who have gone through trauma, they have they feel like they have to choose. Right. I can either protect myself or I can connect. But if I connect, then I, have, I become vulnerable to harm. Um, And so I think that's what starts to shift our mind when we look at our community and we see people behaving in such a way. This isn't meant to be just an excuse for behavior, but it does give us a framework for what's actually going on beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. You mentioned body, Mm -hmm. you mentioned belief systems, things that happen in your body when you think about, you know, a a small trauma or something that where you have to protect yourself. the flood that you feel in your body, that mm-hmm. fight or flight, if it never turns off for right. a child, then, you know, they go to school and we have teachers who all they see is what's on the surface. Mm-hmm. They see the behavior and there's a lot more sometimes going on beneath the surface. A lot more, yeah. That that disruptive kid at school who, if somebody brushes by them, right, mm-hmm. and and that turns into a physical altercation. Yep. That kid is labeled as physically, physically aggressive. If that happens a few more times, right, we may have a bigger issue. Right. He becomes known, he or she becomes known as the bully. We might be talking about alternative school placement. And very often we fail to look beneath that. Why is this kiddo responding in this way? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when we talk about TBRI, we talk about seeing the need behind the behavior. Again, looking at how is that kid trying to protect himself? If he or she has come from a history of harm, again, what they're doing is survival and it's not intentional or willful. When we can understand that, we approach the situation mm-hmm. and that kiddo differently. Some people would look at that model and say, oh, well, you're just excusing the behavior. Mm-hmm. Where is where is that line, right? How do we not excuse the behavior and set the clear boundaries? Obviously, no one's expecting you to just be like, oh, you've had trauma. Um, it's okay that you're doing what you're doing because mm-hmm. the behavior's not okay. Mm-mm. So where's that? How do we manage that boundary? Before I answer that, I, I guess I would take a step back. Sure. If a person came into our room, our space, and was on crutches or had a boot on their leg and they were trying to carry a bag and they were trying to carry a lot of things, people would rush to be a support. 
-hmm. The expectations for that person may be different. They're treated the same, but accommodations are made to support that person in their healing journey. Everybody around would want that person to be able to, you know, do things to continue their healing, um, to be able to walk freely without the support of a crutch. Yes. To move forward. To move forward. Not to always live. That's right. In that. Move scenario. forward. And so a lot of times we don't see kids, adults in that same way. Mm-hmm. They've had an injury. They can't do what others can. And so when we can just choose to see beyond what we see mm-hmm. and understand that they need the same help, they need people, community, churches to run to their aid mm-hmm. the same way we would do with someone who had a physical injury. I mean, that's like point number one. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's where We've we want to start. Framework. Yeah. Can't do it alone. Can't do it alone can't do it alone and our kids are having a hard time and truth be told if we don't help those kids early on they become adults Mm -hmm. who are still having a hard time who are now having children who are still having a hard time (laughs) and some of that I think we talk about TBRIs Mm trust-based so what it requires and a big piece here is establishing trust and connection Mm -hmm. and that is usually just as as a parent when a kid is blown up as a teacher when you have a kid in your classroom who's making it difficult to teach and to for other kids to learn they get seen as a threat often because that's a natural response Mm -hmm. everyone responds to threats this way Mm -hmm. Um, and so having being able to come toward and to actually choose connection and compassion in the midst of that it's something that we have to grow in our understanding of and have tools. So what are those tools? Where sure. where do we even start? Yeah, like I think that? the first place, and people often are surprised when they come to training and I right away say, if you're thinking this is going to be all about the kids, you are sadly mistaken. <laughs> yep. Because TBRI is really about equipping the caregiver and whoever that is, teachers, mm-hmm. police officers, foster parents, children's church workers, whoever it is. And so a great place to start is with ourselves. What is our own attachment kind of history? Have we been safe in relationships? Have we... Um, had someone model to us what a relationship looks like where there is connection and structure. Because if we haven't seen it or been a part of it, we surely can't offer it to someone else. And a lot of times when that kid is having a hard time, that parent is having a hard time, the way we respond can sometimes be a reflection of our own history, yeah? And so what we talk about in TBRI, another place to consider is being mindful with yourself. Kind of what's happening for me right now? Mm -hmm. When I worked in residential, you could clearly see it among the direct care staff. A a kid being verbally assaultive, assaulting, would um, trigger some uh, caregivers and not others. Because that's not their hot button. For me, it's when uh, I feel ignored, right? Mm -hmm. But that has nothing to do with that kid. That has to do with my history. 
And when that kid is in a protective space and they are ignoring me, a.k.a. freezing, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. They're doing mm-hmm. what they are supposed to do, but I interpret it as being ignored. Then I no longer can really see that kid. I'm responding from my own history. And yeah. that's not trauma-informed. That yeah. they just... Yeah, escalates. <laughs> just, it just escalates. It goes, it goes somewhere else. I'm now resolving my stuff and living out of my head and my history, and I've lost sight of that kid. And that's not where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We've all signed up, no matter where we are in our helping careers, we've signed up to be helpers. One tool of TBRI or, or even trauma-informed care in general is really being mindful. What's yeah. happening for that kid? Are you seeing that behavior as really survival? And what's happening for me? One of the things that we've realized is often, and myself included, when you start going through the process to become a foster parent, you're willingly stepping into trauma. And we get a lot of training on the front end, um, and it's helpful. Um, we, we talk about TBRI, we talk about preparing, but often what we see are when those families are in the trenches with an actual child in their home, we often focus our um, resources on the child, and they need it. They need therapeutic resources. They need sometimes a psychiatrist. They need play therapy. They need those types of things around the child to help them process those things. But often it stops there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we kind of do a disservice to the entire family unit because the child needs resources 100% and they, we need to make sure that those are available to them. But we don't often think about the family and preparing them and equipping them because we all, like you said, we all have those those attachment things and we all have triggers and what we sometimes do is actually re-traumatize an already traumatized child and that inhibits them from healing Mm -hmm. in our home what does that look like to get that type of support around families do you have ideas do you have resources where families can go and say I need I need some help yeah and that's really close to my heart to be honest, because um, some time ago I was a foster parent and there was a time I was desperate for help yeah. because a kiddo was displaying behaviors I had never seen. <laughs> and I was way out of my element. And I remember calling my CPA and say, please help me. I don't understand. And they would suggest very menial things. And the behaviors had escalated. I felt myself escalating, mm-hmm. just feeling out of control. Yeah. And I remember picking up that. I remember the day I had to pick up the phone and said, say, above all else, I will not harm this baby. You'll have to come and get him. Yeah. I can't yeah. do this. No one's giving me the tools. I don't know what I'm doing. But clearly, I don't want to be a part of this baby's trauma story um and that was so hard for me yeah because you know I thought I was a good mom (laughs) good mom is does not necessarily mean you're equipped for everything right 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 and so it took a while to come to terms with all of that so what can happen and what do people need yes I think you're right you're being right on that we have systems that take care of the kids Mm -hmm. um agencies and that's their primary focus but we need this kind of 
community care paradigm where there's space for everybody to be involved. And like, I love the river analogy. People can get involved at various stages kind of of the river and um, have different tools to support kind of what's happening, the activity in the river. So I I would say, as we talk about trauma-informed care, um, there are more and more resources where people can um, have, I've seen in-home coaching come up. On the way down, I was listening to a podcast that was really neat of uh, uh, an adoptive parent who shared their struggle. And I think, Two, this is one piece. When you're in it, you feel like you're the only one. And sometimes, right, we know in isolation, that's a bad place to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell people that I'm having a hard time raising my kiddo. And I don't want to know what happened last night. (laughs) I don't want anybody to know that I'm struggling. I don't want anybody to know, right? Could be our attachment, Mm -hmm. could be our history. Why Why do we have to keep it together? Why do we have to do this? And so one tool that I suggest is getting in community. Mm -hmm. Uh, A a colleague that I worked with said she had a a crew of trauma mamas. (laughs) I'm going to take that. They were just trauma mamas who would get together and hold space for each other letting them know that they're not there, bringing them a Slurpee if they've had a hard night, right? Or some of those smaller things that are really impactful. So I would say be in community, reach out. There are more resources Mm -hmm. now as we're moving in this way of kind of becoming a more Mm trauma-informed, at least, community and society. And being a teachable family, I think that um, we, we've talked before about, you know, we're not looking, when we talk about families that we need to step in, um, whether to foster or to mentor or to babysit or to do respite, we're not looking for perfect people, mm-hmm. but we're looking for teachable people, people mm-hmm. who are willing to say, I don't know that I have enough, but I'm willing to learn how to do this well. And if that means I have to look, I, I'm not afraid to look at my own stuff because I know that I don't have it figured out, but for the sake of the person in the river yeah. that's drowning, if I can get equipped with the tools that I need to, to step in yeah. alongside many other people, not just on my own in isolation, um, I think that that does kind of paint the picture that, that we can all create a, a system and a, a community that is, is equipped, that we yeah. can do this. I love that analogy. I think of like someone having a hard time in the river. If I'm not the best swimmer, but I probably can swim a little bit better than them, hey, for that life, I'm willing to jump in. Yeah. And especially if I know that there's other people on the bank that if I'm in trouble, yeah. they will also come. So yeah. we also need people who are brave. Yeah. Yeah. Be brave. Just being willing to admit I don't have all the answers. Sure. No one's looking for someone who has all the answers. No one does. Um, that's why we have to do it together. Yeah. One thing that I always think about, a word that always comes up with um, when we talk about TBRI is hope. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that's kind of the word that always comes up because I, the things that I've looked at just medically and studies and you know, a couple of decades ago, it was really believed that children who had experienced intense abuse and neglect were brain damaged. Mm-hmm. That was the actual belief 
for many people probably still today, but research-wise, it was believed that those kids just can't connect. Those kids mm-hmm. are just damaged. We have to figure out what to do with them in society. There was no hope, really. Mm-hmm. Um, some people were taking steps toward, but it was more so like institution, this, mm-hmm. that. They can't connect. They don't know how. They never will be able to. But now we know that there's neuroscience research that is showing that's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. From a brain pathway neurological standpoint, we can see in CT scans and That's MRI right. scans that things can come online That's again, right. even after extreme amounts of trauma. There is so much hope in that. The thing that has to happen, though, is connection, yeah, relationship. It's actual relationship and connection that's based on trust can turn on parts of the brain that have not been on before. Yeah. That is an incredible thing. I know. As a science <laughs> geek, as a medical professional, that part, I mean, it yeah. floored me when I, far, I first started looking into all of that type of research. There is so much hope that relationships and connection and trust and doing that hard work, it doesn't come easy. No, By no. all means, it doesn't come easy but it's possible. Where have you seen that? Have you seen glimpses of that hope in the people that you're training and the experiences that you've had, you know, you never thought were possible before? Yes. um, In both, I'll tell you two quick stories. Uh, For a while, I worked as a residential program director for girls who had been trafficked. Um, And that was hard Mm -hmm. work. These are young people who have had significant relational Gosh. trauma yep. before, often, they were trafficked. Right, right? it's all connected. <laughs> and so their trafficking wounds were just so fresh. And we used TBRI in that space. And it was probably the hardest job I've ever done. Yeah. It is probably my favorite group of people I love to work with because it requires all of me. Mm-hmm. And I heard someone say that programs don't change people. People change people. Yeah. Right? It's not programs. We are thankful for government dollars and mm-hmm. Riverside Project. We are, we are thankful for yeah. the entity, but ultimately it's the people in right. those seats the people along the river, along it's not the, the river. system, yeah, that each individual that brave person, person that stepping in that really changed people. And so I saw that, um, and working with those girls sometimes because the work is long, yeah, you don't always see it. But I'll tell you when I get those texts or someone messages me on social media or I run into them in Target, Miss Kim. This is my baby. This is my husband. Let me show you my wedding picture. Let me show you my job. Um, I, I just heard of another girl at Texas A&M. And I'm just like, whoa. These are girls who came to us. We were at one part of the river. Mm-hmm. So broken. And so 
hopeless. We see a lot of suicidality, right? And a lot of this thing hurts so bad, just make it in, right? I want to drown it out in drugs and even drown it out in sex or drown it out in yeah. um, unhealthy relationships. I just, I just want it to stop. Just numb it. Yeah, just to numb it and, and so hopeless. And so in TBRI, we always say, you have the opportunity to show them that they can have an unhealthy attachment with one person. Yep. And if they can do it with you, well, there's hope that they can do it with someone else. Yep. And so it gives me great joy when I see them or hear them in healthy relationships. Not that I'm the only one, but perhaps mm-hmm. they saw something in the exchange in our connection yeah. that I can hold them accountable with structure, um, that their safety is important to me, and that's where I bring structure in, yeah. but I care for them in a deep way, um, and that's the nurture. Yeah. So that gives me great hope. And then I would say organizationally as well, um, in May, early May, I just came from Kenya and we had this huge symposium and people doing um, TBRI work internationally um, and just seeing the hunger for information and tools. Yeah. Knowing that some of them are working with communities that are so hopeless and they know that this can be a game changer. This can be a life changer. This can be a generational changer. Yeah. And, and so seeing the hope in their eyes as I train them in the intervention also inspires me to keep going. So if there's a, a person listening anywhere along the river, it might be a foster parent. It might be a, um, you know, someone that's actually working in the field, or it might just be someone that's saying, I've stumbled upon this and this seems really interesting. What can people do to become more aware of, I mean, there's a lot of books out there Mm -hmm. about trauma nowadays. Thankfully, there's more awareness around how trauma affects your body, Mm -hmm. how your body keeps score, how um, people are becoming more aware and compassionate. Um, But how can people engage with this further? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I would say continue to educate yourself, but education is not enough. It's the practice that is is the is the difference maker and and when they have the opportunity to do differently try it out and so even when I train people I say don't don't take this in your field don't take this into your career like try and build connection at home yeah right with your kiddos with your dog whoever it is (laughs) um try it out get in the habit of practice so that when the hard time comes when it's with a stranger, you've got some muscle memory mm-hmm. for it. So I would say stay um, educated, get in the habit of practicing. There's so much information out there. There are trainings. Um, keep it a part of the conversation, right? Yeah. Even that yeah. around the din- dinner table with colleagues. They're introducing it in schools now. So mm-hmm. talking to your children about it or um, at, at various spaces. So keep it present. I yeah. think the more that it's present, this is what we're seeing, the more it's present, it opens it up for everyone else. And then collectively, mm-hmm we can support the people that we need to support. Obviously, there's um, lots on YouTube and 
I'm a big podcaster, so. <laughs> yeah, and we can link some podcasts yeah, and resources podcasts, for next steps. Uh-huh, but I think it just gives us a better understanding and builds compassion for other people, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it changes the lens through which we see others yeah. in a variety of con- Just being in the world, you know, yeah. um, I think it changes our outlook on society. Um, mm-hmm. It makes us better people and yeah. citizens. Because it's not just for kids who have a history of harm. It's it's for all of us. I, I say all the time, it's just the way I engage with people. And it's even for yourself, too. So in, in full transparency, I recently had a loss in my family. And I, because of TBRI, I had context and a framework mm-hmm. for what's going on in my body and, right. and how my, my, um, my window of tolerance. Right. How we <laughs> process people, grief. How we process grief and, and what I need and how to take care of that. And um, one part of TBRI, we talk about healthy relationships. And, and, and one of that is giving and receiving care. And, and in times um, hardship, it's important for us to also be able to receive care. And so it's just a great way for us to um, be in community with yeah. one another um, and then also be very intentional about using this lens with, with kids and families and communities who have that history of harm. Well, we're grateful for you. We can't do this work alone. Um, we really can't. And we, we say that all the time, but it, it's not something that just that we say. We know we can't do this on our own, which is why having people like you who have been doing this work for a long time to be able to come in and provide training um, for professionals in our city to be a resource when we call you saying, hey, there's this family and they need such and such. Do you have any ideas? And we're able to work those things out together so that we can get the right help to the right families. Um, So we're so grateful for you and we're we're grateful that you're a part of the work we're doing. Thank you for the Riverside Project and what you all are doing. It's really amazing and how you embody your what you believe and and you share that with everybody that you meet. Even if I meet someone that you've connected me with, I'm like, yep, I trust them because if ever sent them to me, it's good people. So really thank you for your work. I think our community is better because of what you all are doing. Seriously. Hope so. Hope so. To those listening, we hope these conversations have inspired you to find your place along the river. And we welcome you to join us in bringing hope and renewal to the city of Houston. If you'd like more information on how to get involved, please visit riversideproject.org and submit a contact form. We'll see you next time.